0: Is the Bible just another book? Is it a great piece of literature? Or is it the authoritative Word of God? And if it is authoritative, who must submit to its authority? We will explore these questions and attempt to provide answers on this podcast. We've titled our program, Craving Answers, Craving God. I'm Chuck Rathart with Aaron Miller. Aaron is the pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. Greetings,
1: Aaron. Hey Chuck, how are you?
0: In the days and months ahead, we'll be looking at a variety of specific Bible passages, doctrines, and theology. But here in our first program, Aaron, you wanted to set the stage by taking a broad overview of the Bible. So what direction do you want us to take?
1: Well, I'd like to talk, if we can, for a little bit about uh, the authority of the Bible. Christians claim that the Bible uh, is authoritative. And to talk about uh, what that means uh, for all people, especially considering that authority is a a somewhat oppressive word for many of us, especially those of us who grew up in the West. The notion of having somebody in charge of us is uh, uh, pretty offensive.
0: I know that you, from time to time, make reference to those of us who grew up in the West. What makes the West different from, what, the rest of the world?
1: Uh, yeah, actually, we, um, those of us um, who uh, live in uh, Europe, North America, and it's actually um, a thought that's spreading throughout the world at this point, we are children of the Enlightenment. We are children of the movement uh, that started in the 1600s and ran through about the middle of the 1900s, which exalted human reason and uh, the authority of the individual human over his or her own existence. And we all, all of us, however you, wherever you put yourself on the rich-poor spectrum or the conservative-liberal spectrum or any sort of spectrum that you can think of, those of us in the West, it's kind of the default mode that we think of, especially the part about the individualism, we think of ourselves as sovereign.
0: So I asked the question, is the Bible just another book? And I'm betting you're going to say, no, it's not just another book. And you're probably going to say, it is a great piece of literature, but what separates the bible from all the other books in the world
1: yeah so that's a great question i if is the bible just another book and the answer is uh uh well yeah it is if uh what it claims to be is not the case so when when christians talk about the authority of the bible what they really mean is the authority of god exercised through the bible so christians believe that there is a god and that God has chosen to communicate to humans. And if that's the case, uh, then whatever that communication is, is authoritative. And so as Christians, um, as a Christian, I believe that uh, the Bible, since it comes from God, does function differently than all the other books of the world. Now, there's a lot of characteristics that it has in common. There's poetry in it. There's history in it. um, uh, There's... um, Some of it is written with a a high level of uh, literary quality. Some of it's written with a lower level of literary quality. So it has a lot in common with a lot of different books. But if it does come from God, uh, then it is fundamentally different. You're right than other books.
0: So I'm a little bit older than you. I can remember when the policeman, the fireman, the teacher, the coach, the pastor they were viewed as people who had authority, and that authority was to be respected. And some of us who fit the old-timer category can remember when parents would say, you get in trouble in school, you'll be in trouble when you get home, meaning there aren't going to be any discussions or questions. That's the way it is. I think that coin has been completely flipped over now, completely maybe a a bit of a strong term, but just about, so that when we begin to talk about authority— there are probably people who are already stiffening in their backs. Oh, yeah, for they, sure. Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, well, so like I said, we're children of the Enlightenment. Uh, one, one of one of the things the Enlightenment did was it, uh, it freed the Western mind from the oppression of the authority of God, but it subtly... So, so it elevated human reason and the, the right of the human individual to think for him or herself, but one of the things it did... Uh, sort of subtly was it elevated a science as an authority. And and that continued for about three centuries. Uh, People just assumed that the sociologist and the anthropologist and the doctors and uh, the dentist and any sort of, you know, the PhDs, these were the people who had the authority, who had knowledge. My grandparents grew up that way. If they saw an advertisement and it said four out of five um, orthopedic surgeons recommend this type of sole for your shoe, they would say... Well, four out of five, that's pretty good. Science says to wear this shoe, I should wear it. Since World War II, and there's a lot that goes into this, and we can probably talk about this in some other episode, but since World War II, most of us in the West have abandoned science as well. Uh, So we no longer believe what what Nietzsche called the death of God. Most of the West for the past 150 years is comfortable with that. Now, science is gone as an authority. We all like science. Uh, you know, we like my cell phone and my catalytic converter and things like that. You know, I'm glad for air travel. But as far as believing that science is authoritative, we've abandoned that as well now. So, what, we're, what we've left, what we've been left with since the 1940s in Europe, the end of World War II, and roughly the 1960s in the US. And as time goes on, it's more and more on the streets. What we're left is what some people have called postmodernism, which is a rejection of any sort of authority except for self-authority. And so you're right, any sort of conversation... When, when Christians talk about um, God being in charge of the world and God wanting us to do what he wants us to do and those sorts of, th- those sorts of things, uh, typically Christians are viewed in the same way that the average person would view a politician or a car salesperson, or at this point, a scientist who you disagree with as being oppressive. You're right.
0: So I said, uh, I used the, the old time saying, if you get in trouble in school, you're in trouble at home. I think a generation or so ago, it was not uncommon for mom and dad to say, well, if pastor says it, then that settles it. Something like that. I don't think that's the case anymore, is it?
1: Oh yeah, for certain, it's not teachers too. Like kids, parents don't. My my father was an educator, so I watched, I watched his life. Parents no longer believe that the kids teachers anymore. Um, certainly, people don't believe pastors just because a pastor says something. And there's something sort of, uh, you know, I, I think this is. There's a lot of good in postmodernism, and one is that it's pushed us to search for truth, those of us who still believe that there is such a thing as truth, it's pushed us to search for it ourselves, to not take every authority. And, but of course, that leaves you the issue, what it, everybody has to have an authority. What's that going to be? And uh, ultimately, uh, for Christians, it, it should be the Bible, it should be God's Word, it s- certainly shouldn't be me. Uh, it it should be God's word and so there's something welcoming about that but it does you're right it is a symptom of a larger cultural issue which is the abandonment of authority
0: so what kind of problems does that create for you both as a pastor and as a christian there are times when you're sharing your faith with somebody you know at the coffee yeah. house and you're you're not playing the role of pastor you're just yeah. giving your your christian witness but there's some authority connected with that when you're saying what you're saying you use the authority of the bible to support your quote-unquote truth
1: claims yeah Yeah.
0: is that a problem
1: these days well first of all it's a problem for me personally because i i'm just as postmodern as everybody else who's been born in the united states since the 1960s I, i i don't like somebody being in charge of me and there's all parts of the bible there's you know and we'll talk about these too in upcoming uh, episodes there are parts of the bible that you know i frankly don't like they offend my sensibilities whether they're about gender relationships or violence or uh, things about god that you know my cultural sensibilities find offensive i constantly have to find, i constantly find myself having to be drawn back to say well if this is authoritative then it's authoritative and i should listen to it as a pastor as a Christian who talks to other Christians, let me say it that way, as a Christian as a Christian who talks to other people about this authority of the Bible, it is a problem because of the authority issue like we're talking about. But one of the things that I've found that makes sense is to point out to people that everybody has an authority, that Christians find their authority in the story of the Bible. And I'd like to talk about that story in just a second, too, if we can... Other people have authorities too. Now, the Western myth of postmodernism is that we're free individuals. I don't follow any authority except for my own. And just frankly, people are unaware of the fact that there are cultural stories that they subscribe to, unwittingly, it's just a part of the air that we breathe, that function as authority for them. I have a different authority. But if I can point that out to people that we're not talking about, I'm not asking you to give up freedom. To come underneath the authority of the Bible, I'm asking you to recognize that you're already under an authority, an authority of an uh, the authority of a story that's actually doing you no good, and God offers in His Word a story that presents to you uh, real freedom, real liberation, what Christians like to call salvation, and that's. That, that's my goal
0: real quick you've used the term postmodern a couple of times here for somebody who is unfamiliar with that term maybe they've heard it but they're not exactly sure what you mean by it how would you define yeah. it
1: well it's yeah it's tough to define um uh, it's tough to define because it shows up everywhere and so uh, you know it's, it, it'd be easier to define if you could stick it in, into some sort of spectrum if you could say well conservatives are postmodern but liberals are less so or not or poor people are postmodern, but rich people aren't. Or white people are postmodern, but black people aren't. But actually, it's, it's a, a broadly cultural phenomenon that, that if I am called to describe it to people, I usually will say something like this. Our culture has killed off God. This is what Nietzsche talked about at the end of the 19th century. Our culture has killed off science as a controlling authority. So, so prior to postmodernism, there was a God in the middle of the room that everybody in the West generally believed in. There's always outliers, but generally speaking, people believed in God and that God was where you went to get truth and meaning with the abandonment of God in the 17th century. Science went to the center of the room and whatever else you thought about the world, you know, money or relationships or politics, we all sort of agreed that science was a place that everybody could go to get knowledge Well, science has been, since the end of World War II, science has been dragged out of the middle of the room, kicking and screaming, by the way, according to most scientists who who would prefer to have the role of cultural priest that they had 150 years ago. Now the the problem is there's nothing in the middle of the room. All we are are just floating individuals and even married couples, close friends, um, they aren't... We aren't connected by something that binds us all culturally, and what that's what that's created is just a high level of rampant individualism with good things, but, but a lot of bad things too. And, and the name, an easy name for that, is postmodernism.
0: So you said something about a story that you wanted to get to. Yeah. What, what story are you talking about?
1: Yeah, so the, the Bible is authoritative. That's what Christians say. Uh, you know, old timers used to talk about the Bible being inerrant, which is a, old Christians, which is a fancy word for without error, uh, which, uh, from my perspective, as far as it goes, it's a good word. It, it means that we believe the Bible, all of it is authoritative. But one of the problems with that word is it implies that the Bible is a list of true things that one must believe. Which, of course, the Bible is true, that's what I'm arguing for. But it's fundamentally not a list of things to believe or a list of rules to follow. It's fundamentally a story. It's a story of the whole world, what what, um, narrative analysis call a meta-narrative. It's a big story that fits on top of our individual life stories and demands that our life stories fit into it somehow. And the story of the Bible is um, got four chapters, like all meta narratives do creation, uh, fall, redemption, and restoration. The Bible tr- wants to explain where things came from, what went wrong. That's the second worldview question. Um, what was the solution? Uh, that's what uh, we call redemption, whether we're talking about theology or we're trying to explain uh, a plot of a movie. And uh, restoration, how, how do all things get put right or not get put right in the end? And the Bible claims that um, God created a good world. It fell because humans have rebelled and messed up the environment and messed up relationships and um, uh, messed up generally everything and introduced death into the world. Redemption is, is that God has acted decisively. The Bible tells the story of God acting decisively to fix all of this, by becoming a human himself, and coming to Earth, and in the Christian story, uh, dying to carry the weight of all this sin and brokenness, rising from the dead, and has begun now the process of renewing everything and making everything good again, undoing all the bad. That's the story that the Christian uh, Christian will tell. Now, like I said, our culture has alternative myths, alternative meta narratives, which it tells, which which everybody believes in, but. Frequently, they're unaware of. And like I said, one of the most popular ones in postmodernism is the story of individualism, which is with its own version of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. So, in the individualist story, uh, you know, we're here uh, as free individuals, not bound by God or government or relationships. We're free to do what we want. But into that story came oppression. Now, for early individualists, the early liberals of the 1700s, you know, the John Locks and the Rousseau's, the oppressor was government. Government comes in and takes away our freedoms. And redemption is some decisive moment when you reclaim that freedom. And then restoration is once you get your freedom, you can enjoy it. Now, there's a billion different ways to tell this exact same story, and we tell each other this story all the time to reinforce that we are Western individualists. And it could be we tell our kids the stories of the War of Independence, the oppressive British government, and how uh, Americans uh, fought against it to, f- to get their freedom, and now we enjoy freedoms. It could be a movie that you're watching about you know, a young girl who decides to leave home and make her own way. Or it could be the story of a sports team, which, uh, you know, there's this big, powerful cross state rival that always beats them, but they work hard and they get a good coach and they believe in each other. All these stories that we tell each other. And, and most every movie, most every novel that you're going to read or watch in the West is going to tell this individual narrative. And, th- and that's what I said. When I'm talking to somebody who's not a believer, one of the things I want to do is to show them you have your own authoritative story that sits on and maybe it's not written in, in one official book like Christians or Jews or you know religious people have but it is a story
0: so if I'm hearing you correctly you've identified at least two different contexts for processing the truth claims or the information that comes from the Bible one is in story form the other is in list of rules form so am I with you so far am I,
1: yeah, those, those, those would be two ways to, to communicate authority. So
0: if you're preaching a sermon on a Sunday morning and you have 100 people in front of you, I know that you don't have statistics on this. So I'm asking for your best guess. How many of those people are hearing what you're saying in the context of the story of the Bible as opposed to those that are hearing it in the context of list of rules?
1: The people who are hearing me I'll say everybody who hears me is hearing me in the context of the story because that's actually what makes sense. That's actually what connects with us. Those of us who believe in Christianity, just like those people who believe in individualism or those people who believe in the American dream or those people who believe in communism, the only way they connect with those thoughts is through story. We we are, as humans, are designed. We We have a, a linear lifespan and we see all of our lives in terms of a beginning and an end and a trajectory that leads from one to the other. And so when I communicate when I communicate Christianity, it's to, whether it's in church preaching or teaching a class at a college or talking to somebody over coffee, I what I have to do is I have to communicate it in story because if I communicate it in rules, nobody 0% of the people will hear it. Now, I'm not saying there aren't rules in the Bible there are, but those rules themselves fit into the story. And if I turn Christianity into a list of you know, here's, here's the things that you have to do. It actually connects with nobody, whether they whether they actually believe the story originally, whether they're Christians or whether they're unbelievers. We don't think in terms of bullet points and list when it comes to worldview. We always think in terms of story.
0: If I'm a postmodern listener and you're preaching or you're teaching a Bible class or you're doing a home in-home devotion, I'm thinking that since I'm postmodern, I'm trying to fill the hole in the room my own way. Right, yeah. And one of the ways to do that is to say, look, just give me the to-do list. Just just give me the list. I'm, I'm trying to be in a better place a week from now than I am right now, trying to improve. I need a list. Does that qualify as the list of rules context that you talked about before? Because it seems to me that there are lots of people Who may be coming to church to hear a sermon and they're, pastor, I just need a little encouragement. I just need a shortcut to help me get to the place that I'm trying to get to a week or a month from now.
1: Yeah. So if somebody would come, first of all, not many people will ask for a list because the list itself would be authoritative. If they thought, let me let, let me dabble in this, let me wet my toe in this Christianity stuff. You know, g- give me the five things I need to do if I wanted to become a Christian. My response would be, it's not th- there's not really anything you can do to become a Christian. There's not a list of things because it's actually a story that you become a part of. Are, are you? does the trajectory. Does your thoughts in the trajectory of your life come out of the death and resurrection of Jesus is that? Does that affect the way that you shop for groceries? Does that affect the way that you drive your car? Does that affect the way that you play golf? Does that affect the way that you make love to your spouse, or the way that you raise your kids, or the way that you clock into work in the morning? So see, everybody, you know, just pay, just give me, uh, give me some grace here. Everybody clocks into work in the morning. I know that not everybody does. Everybody plays golf. You know, people play golf the same way that everybody plays golf. The question though is not do I need to play golf to be a Christian or should I buy the celery or the broccoli to be a, there's no, there's no list that will tell you that sort of thing is in your purchase of that celery or when you hit that five iron, are you doing it to bring glory to the one who's written a story about the renewal of all things, even golf swings, even celery purchases or are you doing that primarily to gratify yourself, which is the story of individualism? It's less about, way less about a list of things to do, and more about what's the story that you see that purchase of celery fitting into? What's the story? Why are you playing golf? What's the story of the golf swing?
0: So, okay, I'm on board. I'll, I'll go with your story context, and I even as far as you know, accept your claim that the Bible is an authoritative thing in my life. Don't you find it also to be true that for most folks that goes just up to a point? So if, if the Bible says that, you know, I ought to be in church, then I feel like I ought to be in church. If the Bible says that I shouldn't steal, well, then I probably shouldn't steal. But there are a couple of things that I really like to do or like to be that kind of flaunt the authority of the Bible, and I'd just really rather not give that up. Isn't isn't that yeah. the human condition?
1: Oh yeah, for sure. And one of, one of the problems, one of the reasons why this is, is because there's never just one story that you're telling yourself. The Christian story stands in competition. With all sorts of other stories that we all believe, I, I, you know, I can't get the story of Western individualism out of my mind. I, that's going to be a part of the struggle. And so, you know, the question, am I going to go to church or am I not going to go to church, has way less to do with whether I, you know, stay in bed or go play tennis that morning, or whether I get up and go to church, and it has way more to do with which story am I believing at the moment? Am I believing that God has chosen to meet with human beings, or am I believing that you know i feel like playing tennis i'm gonna that's it's 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 a story decision and so there's always competing stories and i don't even know how many i can tell you for a fact that that i personally hope to be committed to christianity i also know that i'm committed to the story of western individualism it's the way i was raised it's the cartoons i watched growing up it's the advertising that 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 uh um, forces me to buy a certain brand of cereal. It's all based on individualism. And so those things are always kind of weaving back and forth and bouncing off each other. And there's always a struggle between that and all the the Christianity and all the alternative stories that we tell. Yeah.
0: So that brings us kind of the, to the, uh, where the rubber meets the road. Eventually you, whether you're witnessing your Christian faith or whether you're acting as you're in your duties as a pastor, Preaching to people, eventually you're going to hit one of those nerves. Speaking ostensibly from the authority of Scripture, yeah. thus saith the Lord, and it's I'm not going to like it. Yeah, just on this particular point, I'm not yeah. going to like it. Me too. It's going to make me upset, and then I'm going to begin to chafe under the notion that well, now wait a minute, you know who makes who makes Pastor Miller right the guy here. Yeah, you know what makes his perspective, the authoritative one, and mine has to bow to him. What happens then?
1: I would just encourage such a person in the same way that I encourage myself when I feel like that. You know, I I don't really like this. I'm getting kind of grumpy about the authority of God and all that stuff. I would encourage that person to say, okay, so I, I get it, but don't imagine that you're making a free decision here, that somehow this is a contest between your individual sovereignty and the story of God and that authoritative story in the Bible. It's actually a contest between the authority that you already sit under, you already are controlled by the authority of Western individualism or communism or whoever whoever it is I'm talking to, so, it's a question of like, whose authority are you going to sit under? Do you want to sit under uh, the authority of the postmodern uh, account of the way things are? Or, and, and you're going to have to weigh this stuff. You're going to have to weigh which, where, where is this story going to lead me? And where is this alternative story going to lead me? And seriously, look at the way history works, at the way your own life has worked. Look at the claims of God's story and what it offers. And then you're gonna have to decide which story am I gonna be? be, Do I want this trajectory of this story, or do I want, or you know, the trajectory of the story of individualism? It's it's still up for grabs whether that leads to happiness. I know that the framers thought that this was one of the goals, but but it's not clear that we are happier as a culture or that we are getting happier. In fact, uh, the statistics uh, all seem to point the opposite that as a culture we're, we're we're becoming much less unhappier much less fulfilled, much less of a sense of meaning and purpose. And so I would say, well, okay, so now that you know that, that you're actually set under this authority, perhaps it's time to, to, uh, to, to look at a different story and see what that story tells about the world. And if that makes more sense of the world that you see, and maybe perhaps offers an ending a restoration, a redemptive goal that's maybe a bit better than the story that you've been writing for yourself, or the story, better yet, that, you, that you've that you been sitting under.
0: I've got one more question for this particular podcast, and that is, for the person who is wedded to his particular sin, indiscretion, and perhaps you in, in a counseling opportunity have said, you're going to have to leave this behind. You cannot continue to do this or think this and and make progress in your sanctified life. When that person pushes back against that, maybe says, well, Pastor, I just don't agree, and maybe that's the end of the conversation, yeah, yeah. what do you do in that moment to try to push through that and keep it going?
1: Yeah. So t- typically what happens is... Um, again I mean to keep on coming back to story because we are talking about the Bible here what that person has to do is to understand the decision that they're making in terms of the story of the Bible this is why as and for those of you who um who do have relationships with pastors or or, or people who know the Bible they'll frequently encourage you you need to you need to be reading your Bible and it's not because you know, So you're struggling with a particular sin that you say, uh, maybe I, I lose my temper all the time with my kids, or maybe I have an alcohol problem. I'm struggling with some sort of uh, a sin that I just can't give up. The, the, you know The issue is not, okay, so re- I should read my Bible, and maybe I'll run across a verse that will magically say, hey, stop yelling at your kids, and it'll bang, it'll hit me between the eyes. Actually, reading the Bible rewrites my story it constantly rewrites the trajectory that my life is on so the, the question would be how in the story that you're living does yelling at your kids work and the answer for for people for all of us who struggle with stuff like this which is all of us right is i think that this is going to lead to something that is going to be better than where i'm at now my kids won't listen to me and they leave toys everywhere and I think that my life would be better if my kids would just obey me and the living room would be nicer if the toys were cleaned up. And so that's the story we want to write, the story of our control and a clean living room floor and quiet, obedient kids. Instead, though, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with obedient kids or a, um, you know, a clean living room floor, except for, again, that's a story that you're writing that's unrealistic. That's not going to lead to your fulfillment. Instead, the story of the Bible is going to lead in a different direction. There are, lo- there, there are different goals to life than your kids cleaning up the living room floor. And when you read the Bible, it rewrites that story. It, it, it starts to, uh, to rewire the way that you see your trajectory in the world away from valuing things like clean floors, as important as those are, to valuing other things that are bigger
0: Okay, Aaron, so in our next podcast, what do you anticipate will be our our focus?
1: Well, I talked a little bit today about the the end of the story being a fulfilling story that the story that God tells in the Bible promises a level of fulfillment and satisfaction that competing alternative stories in our culture don't offer. And I'd like, if we can, to talk a little bit about how the story of the Bible, how does God's story, how it actually does satisfy, how it does fulfill us, for those of us who are committed to this story, what's in store.
0: All right, we'll uh, make a note and we'll try to concentrate on that next time. And we want to thank you for listening to our Craving Answers, Craving God podcast. Pastor Aaron Miller, pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. If you have a topic or a question for Pastor Miller, please go to our website at stjamesglenncarbon.org and click Contact Us. You'll be able to leave a message there. Thanks for listening.